listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Hello, my name is Bert Powell, and I'm the Global Director of Research at BMO Capital Markets. ESG is increasingly an important element of any investment process. Yet, traditional ESG disclosures and scores are proving inconsistent and unnecessarily complex. They lack the transparency needed to add value to a robust investment process. We are pleased to introduce our approach, which is to integrate ESG into our fundamental research product rather than treat ESG as a siloed discipline. Our approach leverages our analysts' deep understanding of the companies they cover and their respective industries. When combined with the ESG domain knowledge and expertise of our ESG strategist, Doug Morrow, we believe we have a unique value proposition to offer our clients. Our brand promise is in the form of individual company ESG tear sheets that will be maintained by the fundamental analysts. The tear sheets are qualitative and flexible, allowing a framework that will provide investors the tools and information they need to hone in on the core ESG considerations a company faces and their potential financial implications. The tear sheets will be a living component of our research and updated as new and relevant ESG information becomes available. Thank you, Bert. I'm Camilla Sutton, Managing Director in Equity Research, and today we are joined by BMO Capital Markets ESG strategist Doug Morrow and real estate analyst Jenny Ma to discuss their takeaways from their recent report, Building Momentum, ESG Performance in the Canadian Real Estate Industry, as well as BMO's integrated approach for assessing ESG and fundamental equity research. So to kick us off, Doug, how does the real estate sector stack up when it comes to ESG? Thank you, Camilla. I would say, generally speaking, the real estate industry stacks up uh, middle of the pack. So what we see is that on the risk side, it's definitely considered low risk, which isn't to say there's zero risk exposure to ESG issues, but relative to some of the higher impact industries in the economy, it is uh, is relatively low risk. And then on the management side and, and ESG disclosure and things like that, we find that the industry is middle of the pack. You know, if you look at the report, we definitely showcase some of the leading practices and there are definitely REITs in Canada that are doing an excellent job on ESG disclosure. But the bulk of the industry is still is still trailing, although we do expect that to change over time. So digging deeper on that, how seriously are REITs taking ESG and what is really being done? Well, I think there's a significant dispersion in practices, frankly. And I think it's the case that there are several REITs taking ESG very seriously indeed. So as we say in the report and, and show, there are definitely a handful of, uh, of leaders in the space who have been at this for a relatively long time. Examples would include you know, Rio Can and, uh, and First Capital, who have a relatively long history of ESG reporting. I would say others are rapidly coming up the curve quickly. So we talk in the report about you know, pretty aggressive targets for green buildings and, and things like that. So you definitely have a dispersion of practices and, and some are at the leading edge. I would say, generally speaking, though, if you compare, as we said in the beginning of this podcast, if you compare the REIT industry to others, the bulk of the industry is still you know, not where we would ideally like to see it and not where investors would like to see it in terms of you know, general ESG transparency. Right now, approximately half 
of our coverage publishes a sustainability report. That's just one proxy. Now, to be sure, we don't want to put too much emphasis on just looking at sustainability reports. It's also critically important what is in those reports and the frameworks that are being used, etc. But it's still a pretty telling stat that you know over half of our coverage right now does not produce sustainability reports. But I would also highlight, and this is something we really stress in the report, is that the current performance of the industry in terms of ESG practices and disclosure is not where we see it trending. So there's a lot of activity taking place behind the scenes, and a lot of management teams have fairly big ESG plans for 2021. So then one of the takeaways of your report is really just on that, the disclosure gaps. Can you talk more and quite specifically Mm -hmm. around some of the challenges that REITs face? Sure. So it's actually interesting because I would say that the REITs face particular challenges relative to other industries in the economy when it comes to ESG data collection. And this message came through time and time again when we were talking to management teams and also looking and reviewing the sustainability reports. And part of the challenge is just simply the function of being a landlord and you know typical uh, lease agreements. So because most REITs do not have full operational control of their properties, it creates inherent challenges with respect to the measuring and sharing of sustainability data, for example, emissions, water, waste, and energy. It was quite telling in one conversation we had with REIT management, they indicated that one of the most important tenants actually closely tracks their energy spend, their energy consumption, water, etc. But they don't share it with the REIT team, with REIT management, because they consider it to be proprietary information. And I thought that was a really telling anecdote. And it's, it's a barrier, frankly, where uh, the solution is not obvious. We definitely found cases where REIT teams are looking at Uh, implementing data sharing provisions into their lease agreements, which would facilitate this type of data exchange. But they also said that they're also aware of any possible ramifications on that with, with their tenants and the relationships. So it's something that we have to monitor. But yeah, I would say in general, the nature of being a landlord does present challenges as far as measuring and disclosing sustainability data. So then the report itself highlights four key areas of focus or issues for REITs. And those are energy management, climate change, stakeholder engagement, and ESG governance. So Doug, can you speak to each one of those areas? And then Jenny, can you give us your take and maybe some of the specifics on each one as well? Sure, definitely. So these are the four ESG issues that we believe are most important at this point in time for REIT investors. We landed on these issues through a culmination of our research in terms of looking at material ESG issues from the SASB framework, what REITs themselves are disclosing, our own experience in the market, etc. And definitely happy to give some, some highlights on each of those buckets. So first, energy management. I guess the main finding here is really, as we said earlier, there's a great spread in practices, even amongst a REITs with a relatively similar business model operating in the same segment. So we, we definitely see cases where REITs, some REITs are aggressively capturing energy efficiency opportunities across their portfolio. Many REITs, for example, have implemented LED retrofit programs, implementing high efficiency boilers, the use of building automation systems, things like that. These would be relatively commonplace among the REITs that are and disclose that they're seeking to capture energy efficiency opportunities. There's also some leading edge practices that we talk about in the report, such as using artificial intelligence and uh, incorporating that into the, uh, the building management systems. 
I would say, as with other uh, ESG issues in the industry, you know, disclosure, while trending up over time, is still lagging. So right now, just about one quarter or so of our coverage discloses their energy consumption. The exact number was 27%. Now, we do expect that to go up over time. But it does show some of the challenges that investors will face in terms of analyzing and assessing uh, REIT's energy performance just simply due to the, uh, you know, the absence of data. One other point I'll make, and I'm sure Jenny will want to jump in with some, with some other findings and company-specific findings, but in terms of green buildings, this is definitely one of the it issues right now in the REIT landscape. Uh, you could argue that it's not just about energy. It kind of overlaps into climate and indeed other sustainability issues. But we think this is definitely going to be a major, major issue for REITs going forward. You know, to some extent, it's always been an issue, of course. But what we found in our research is that COVID is really shining a light on the benefits of green buildings. Now, people, I think most listeners would realize that green buildings have improved energy and emissions performance. But what they, what they may not realize is that green buildings also capture indoor air quality. And for sure, this is going to be an increasingly important consideration for tenants uh, in the future due to, due to COVID. So we found a, a large spread, as you might expect, in terms of proportion of REITs portfolios that are certified to a green building standard. The most common ones that we found are BOMA Best and LEED. And at the top end, you have REITs such as First Capital with approximately three quarters of their portfolio certified to a green building standard. And that goes all the way down to, um, to just above 3% for some of the other REITs in our coverage. So yeah, I guess I would just emphasize green buildings, the fact that about a quarter or so of our coverage currently discloses energy consumption. Okay, I'll pass it over to you, Jenny, for your insights. Thanks, Doug. So energy management as our listeners can imagine, is a very important and obvious part of being landlords and, and real estate owners. And as Doug mentioned, there are many variables that go into how the energy management is being tracked and disclosed. We think the key is tracking energy use. We see a big dispersion across the board with the REITs as far as their tracking and disclosure. We want to point out that First Capital REIT, for example, uh, is an outlier in terms of providing five years of data of energy management tracking, and that's definitely to be commended. But we also note that for those who track and disclose this data, there's quite a bit of variance across the metrics that they're disclosing. So for example, you know, we see total energy consumption. We also see same asset energy consumption comparisons and also energy consumption intensity. And we see it across the board and, and each REIT uh, takes a different approach. So it makes comparability a little bit more difficult. So for example, we see um, Boardwalk discloses total energy consumption. Uh, Artists, Choice, and Rio can disclose on a same asset energy consumption basis. And then we've got Allied, Cap, H&R, and First Capital who disclose it in terms of intensity. And then also we have Dream Office who discloses it in terms of, of a percentage change year over year. So as we mentioned, the most important thing is tracking. Uh, and we think that over time, we'll see a bit more convergence in terms of the kinds of metrics that are being tracked. But step one right now is actually tracking and disclosing these numbers. And one thing for our listeners to note is that generally speaking, it's the larger REITs that have provided this data. And a lot of it is because they have the resources to do so. They've got you know, energy and sustainability uh, directors who, who lead these efforts as well as staff to be tracking them. So that's a differentiator that we see as well. For a lot of the smaller REITs, they don't necessarily have the resources to be doing that. And we think that's understandable. 
All right, I can see there's a lot on energy management, but the second key area of focus was about climate change. Doug, what were your findings there? Climate change. So, I mean, obviously they are, they are intertwined from a certain point of view because the major driver of, uh, you know, of emissions for, for REITs is, um, you know, is on-site energy use. But really what we're talking about with climate change and REITs, the major risk area that investors need to be aware of and indeed are increasingly aware of is exposure to the physical impacts of climate change. So this would refer to things like the increasing frequency of extreme weather events, uh, rising sea levels, uh, you know, changing water patterns and, and things like that. I mean, obviously, in the case of REITs, which, which have a large operational footprint and, uh, you know, a landlord structure, there's, you know, there's very significant risk exposure to the physical impacts of climate change. To be clear, this is not the only risk center that we see with climate change. It's just a major one. Uh, REITs are also exposed to what we call transition risks from climate change. This would include shifts in government policy, the possibility for things like carbon taxes, uh, changes in technology, so things like um, you know increased demand for electric vehicle installation stations and things like that. But really, the most important risk centers on the physical impacts of climate. What we found with climate change, similar to energy management, first of all, is really um, a lack of disclosure in terms of emissions. So about 30% or about one-third of our coverage right now measures and discloses their scope one and scope two greenhouse gas emissions. In the same way that we expect energy tracking to go up over time, we certainly do expect this number to increase over time. And I expect if we do this podcast one year from today, I would expect to see a, a higher number than, than 30%. But it is really important what Jenny said in terms of the, uh, you know, the bias that we see with, uh, with larger REITs having uh, more resources to throw at their, at their sustainability file. So we, we have to take that into account as well. Uh, in terms of best practices, so right now, three REITs in our coverage, Boardwalk, Dream Office, and RioCan, measure the extent to which their portfolio is exposed to flood risk, which we think is definitely a best practice for the industry going forward. Now, to be sure, these types of assessments you know, can range in their sophistication, but we definitely think it's an important first step, and we definitely expect to see more demand for this type of analysis going forward. We also thought it was interesting that several REITs played up the role of insurance. You know, several REITs said, you know, not, not just to us in terms of management conversations, but make clear in their sustainability reports that because they are fully insured, they're hedged. And our response is that might be true, but it's also difficult to forecast the insurance premiums. And if we do see more severe than expected weather events, we could also see, um, a possible increase in insurance premiums. So that's something that um, will play out across the entire economy, not, not just the real estate, of course. Something else that I want to draw attention to is the TCFD. So this is the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. This is a very, very ambitious uh, and frankly challenging reporting framework for issuers and investors around, around climate change. And right now, only two REITs in our coverage are making efforts to align their disclosures with the TCFD, we wouldn't classify them as full-blown, you know, fully compliant TCFD disclosures, but certainly the intent is there. So these are a Boardwalk and Dream Office. And we think this is definitely going to be an important practice. And when the next batch of sustainability reports comes out later this year, you know, typically in Q2, we certainly do expect to see more REITs making efforts to align the reporting around the TCFD guidance. So I will uh, leave it there in terms of my high-level 
thoughts on climate change. And Jenny, I can pass it over to you for your insights. Thanks, Doug. So with regards to climate change, we see a similar dispersion in reporting that we do with energy management. So, you know, Doug, you had touched on emissions reporting, and we do see that uh, variance across the board with total emissions reporting coming from Allied, Dream Office, and Killam Apartment. And then we also have total like-for-like emissions reporting coming from Artists, Choice, H&R, and RioCan. Emissions intensity is being reported by Boardwalk, Caprete, and First Capital. So similar to energy management, we, we do see this range, and we would expect that over time, there should be some convergence to a specific metric that could be more comparable across the board. We also think climate change is important for forward-looking decision-making in addition to just managing the core portfolio. So for example, we would like to see REITs be very specific and uh, explicit about the decision-making process and whether or not they consider climate change measures when they're thinking about their acquisitions and future development opportunities. Well, we've run through energy management and climate change. Doug, can you talk a little bit about stakeholder engagement? Absolutely. So stakeholder engagement, this is one of the S issues in ESG that are becoming and have indeed become much more important and much more focused as a result of COVID. You know, the basic narrative is that COVID has really amped up investor attention on the S issues relative to the uh, to the E and the G. So when we think about stakeholder engagement in the REIT space, yeah, there's really a few things that that we want to draw attention to. First is relationships with tenants. So, I mean, arguably, this is the single most important um, stakeholder relationship in addition to investors that that REITs have. And as a result of COVID, it's really it's really put these relationships front and center. You know, first in terms of the immediate response to the pandemic and uh, and rent deferral programs and things like that. But we also think this is going to amp up um, you know the importance of having really really clear engagement mechanisms for for tenants going forward. You know, notwithstanding the fact that COVID is putting an increased spotlight, if you will, on these relationships. There, uh, there's also an overlap with the energy issue. So if you think about energy, and we talked about this already with the uh, disclosure gap issue, there's this longstanding notion of the split incentive challenge. Now, for listeners who are uh, familiar with the use of energy and, and the challenges that uh, REITs face in terms of implementing these projects, th- the basic idea here is that there's often a misalignment between the incentives of landlords and and tenants to implement and fund energy efficiency projects. Um, Now, we tackled this in the stakeholder engagement issue because that's sort of the the primary bucket. But obviously, as we're saying, there's overlap with energy. And what we found here is, is that lots of REITs are deploying creative measures, if you will, to get around this, um, this barrier. So what we found is that REITs such as Choice and RioCan disclose cost recovery clauses for capital improvements in their lease agreements. And this provides a way for them to get around the split incentive challenge. And they're using these uh, clauses to fund projects that range from energy efficiency to uh, LED upgrades and, uh, and HVAC upgrades as well. We also encountered other REITs such as WPT and others who just cite general green lease provisions in a way to overcome the uh, the split incentive challenge. Yeah, so all in all, we definitely think that as a result of COVID, the uh, utility of having a really clear framework for REITs to engage their stakeholders uh, is, going to, is going to be uh, amplified. 
And then a second issue that we want to draw attention to is the notion of a, of a materiality assessment. So what this means is it's just basically an exercise that REITs conduct or you know other issuers conduct to really determine which issues, which ESG or sustainability issues are most important to their stakeholders. Now, several REITs in our coverage have gone through this exercise, and we think it's definitely a best practice because what it does is it helps channel a REIT's uh, resources for ESG projects to those areas that matter most to their to their stakeholders, and it also helps with uh, with future planning. So, in the report, we disclose all the REITs who have implemented this type of assessment and where we see uh, the benefits of this analysis. So those are some of the high-level thoughts I have on stakeholder engagement. So with that, Jenny, I'll pass it over to you for your thoughts and insights. Thanks, Doug. Uh, Absolutely, stakeholder engagement is increasingly important, and we've seen a real acceleration of that on the back of COVID, as you mentioned. I I do want to give credit to uh, almost all the REITs in our coverage who have had to deal with uh, CICRA rent abatements, for example, that was a government program that was announced in the spring to assist small businesses with paying their rent, uh, particularly as many of them were forced to close. And while we've seen in the press, there were some varying responses from landlords, in a lot of cases, some very unfavorable or non-responses from landlords. I, I would say that all, uh, almost all the REITs that we cover have been incredibly responsive and incredibly supportive of their tenants. And in particular, uh, the retail REITs were all participants in the CECRA program. And in fact, many of them actually came up with their own programs to help tenants out before the announcement of CECRA. So you knew that the alignment and the support for their tenants um, and other stakeholders were there. A number of other REITs also engaged with other stakeholders in the community by providing space for COVID testing and assessment uh, and other medical-related efforts. A lot of REITs provided meals for essential workers and, and stepped in really whenever they can to help these efforts. So we think that this, um, you know, one of the silver linings coming out of COVID has been uh, a realignment or, or a refocus on looking at stakeholders within the community as well. And of course, this should have mutual benefit as well particularly for the, the consumer-facing REITs like retail REITs, having that kind of positive exposure is definitely beneficial over the short term and the long term to the visibility and the profile of their properties. So Doug, one of the things that I think is interesting and that we've tried to be a front runner on is looking at BIPOC data. Um, BIPOC stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. And this is Uh, something that has really come to the forefront on the heels of the events of 2020. And while we've seen a lot of data come out for gender diversity in the workforce and executive management and the board, BIPOC isn't something that's really being measured right now. So we're trying to get ahead of this curve with the view that this is going to be yet another metric that will be monitored and hopefully will become more valuable over the long term. So for the REITs that we cover, we've seen about just under half of them report their workforce by gender, but there's only one REIT, and that's Artis, who provides data on their workforce uh, in terms of BIPOC measures. So it's definitely something that's new and upcoming, and and we think that we just haven't had the time to really um, absorb that and to really implement those measures across the board. So we would expect to see this measure starting to be tracked this year and beyond. As far as executive management goes, you know, what we try to do in terms of measuring BIPOC diversity is really examining 
the most senior members of the management team. And we define that by looking at the named executive officers as disclosed in the management information circular and really opening that conversation with management to determine how senior management members identify themselves and coming up with a BIPOC measure. And we hope that over time, having this measure in place will be illuminating, but also as with the other measures that we've got, um, maybe a measure that helps to nudge REITs and other companies along in terms of looking at where their measures are at and whether or not they can improve upon them over time. We've covered a lot of ground today between energy management, climate change, stakeholder engagement. Do you have some thoughts on ESG governance, Doug? Yeah, absolutely. So ESG governance is a, is a cross-cutting issue that is broadly relevant for all companies. And in the REIT sector, what we found is that some of the key differentiators are board-level oversight of ESG issues. So we have some really interesting trend analysis in the report to show how the proportion of REITs that have this critical oversight measure has increased significantly over the years. And we really do believe it is a best practice because you definitely want to have the board engaged and holding management's feet to the fire, so to speak, when it comes to uh, ESG risk management. So we, uh, we have some very interesting data in the report. So right now, 39% of the REITs in our coverage have this critical board-level oversight mechanism of, of ESG issues. Um, and I would draw attention in particular to two, so Killam as well as Summit. And what distinguishes them is they have a, a dedicated ESG committee at the board level, whereas the others, uh, although still an excellent practice, they have the investment committee or sometimes the audit committee or the corporate governance committee uh, have ESG fit into their remit, which is still, as I said, an excellent practice. But we also wanted to call attention to uh, what we consider a leading edge practice, which is to have these standalone committees. So with that, I'll pass over to Jenny for her thoughts. Thanks, Doug. So I think it's important to emphasize that for a lot of these REITs, uh, even though more than half of them don't have formal board level oversight of ESG issues, we're very confident that for a lot of them, this is something that both management and the board are thinking about. So as they look back on 2020 and look forward to 2021 and beyond, we're very optimistic that a lot of these REITs are considering ESG measures and how to implement ESG management across our organization. So we would presume that for a lot of them, this is something that's going to continue to see improvement over time. And one thing that we've seen some decent improvement on over time is the proportion of women on the board of these REITs. So right now, as far as 2020 numbers go, the average of female representation on REIT boards is at 26%. And that's up from 24% in 2019 and 20% in 2018. And again, this is something that we expect to see improve over time. And we want to highlight in particular Artist REIT, who has 57% of their board members as female uh, and, and that is the result of some recent turnover that they've had. But this is definitely an above average proportion representation of females on the board. So Doug, I think we've covered a lot of ground uh, and, and you've put in a tremendous amount of work setting up our platform for ESG research. Now that you've gone through one sector of our coverage at BMO Capital Markets, what are the three core takeaways you're hoping to leave listeners with in this podcast? I would leave the audience with three thoughts. So First of all, I want to stress, as we said in the beginning, that where the REIT space is right now in Canada on ESG is not reflective of where it's going. 
So I really want to stress that there's a lot of activity taking place behind the scenes, and we definitely expect to see some uh, significant improvements over time in ESG performance and disclosure. Second, despite the fact there is a lot of activity going on behind the scenes, I do want to acknowledge that there are some pretty important data gaps right now within the context of the Canadian re-industry. So for investors looking to uh, incorporate ESG factors into, into their investment process, there definitely are some challenges uh, with respect to disclosure levels right now for Canadian REITs. Now, to be fair, Canadian REITs are not alone in this respect. There are definitely some big disclosure gaps on important metrics across the economy, uh, but it is important to recognize that there are uh, some data gaps that we expect to narrow over time. And I guess the third point is simply that, you know, REIT investors in Canada, like equity and debt investors, generally speaking, are really increasingly looking to incorporate ESG considerations and factors into their investment process for a, for a range of different motivations. So we certainly expect that some of the metrics we call attention to in the report and the tear sheets, such as uh, green building percentages, which we talked about today, as well as some of the innovative you know, BIPOC and diversity targets that, that Jenny mentioned, we definitely expect that these metrics, as well as our overall qualitative assessments of, of REITs on their ESG file, uh, will increasingly be incorporated by REIT investors into their investment process going forward. And with that, Jenny, I'll pass to you if you have any final thoughts. Thanks, Doug. I think we have covered a lot of ground on this podcast and especially our research report. For our listeners, I would direct you to check out our report, which is linked in the show notes with this podcast. And I do want to let everybody know that the individual ESG tear sheets are available for all the Canadian REITs under coverage. And following the launch of our ESG research product, these individual ESG tear sheets will also be integrated into our research comments for all the companies that we cover as they are rolled out. So with that, I'll pass it back to Camilla for final closing remarks. Thank you, Doug and Jenny. We've covered a lot of ground today. BMO Capital Markets is proud to have launched our integrated approach for assessing ESG within our fundamental research and have the expertise in-house to deliver on thematic ESG content that is critically important to our clients. If you've enjoyed our podcast today, please do subscribe and rate it. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.